Welcome to Tad Dickel's Leadership and Strategy Podcast, bringing you authentic conversations with leaders about their approach to leadership and their organization's strategy for success. Welcome to the Leadership and Strategy Podcast. I'm your host, Tad Dickel. And today, I'm excited to have Andy and Brad Niemeyer, co-CEOs of AZIP Pizza, join me today. So, welcome. Why don't we go ahead and start and, and have our listeners learn a little bit more about you. So, Andy, would you like to start and share your background? Sure. So, I'm the oldest of us three Niemeyer brothers. I did engineering originally in school, and then was kind of off doing my own thing as Brad got AZIP started. So I came on a couple years into the the AZIP story. And now at this point, Brad and I share the co-CEO role, and I focus more on our HR and operations. Great. And Brad, how about uh, you share our listeners your background? Yeah, so I'm Brad Niemeyer. I'm the founder and co-CEO with Andy of AZIP. I like how you start with the older brother. Couldn't, get, couldn't let the younger brother get get in there first. <laughs> Had the idea for AZIP when I was at um, I was studying hospitality and tourism management, getting a certificate in entrepreneurship, right in the middle of those two concentrations there. And decided to enter into the business plan competition at Purdue and ended up winning that and won $20,000 to go towards starting the business. So as much as the money was a great motivator to go out and start it, it was that outside validation from others that this was a good idea. This was something that you could actually do help get mom on board too, which wasn't a bad thing. Sure. So now we've seen AZIP grow, has it been nine years? Yeah, it will be 10 years in February. Okay. From store one nine years ago to how many today? We have 10 locations now, opening our 11th here in Indianapolis a couple months. Great. Tell us then, so Brad, maybe you started out this business as a recent college graduate. Tell us kind of your approach to leadership uh, at that time versus today? Yeah, I think it was very basic. I think it was very much rooted in what I'd kind of how I'd learned uh, leadership. And a lot of that was through sports. And so I grew up playing sports, was a walk-on on the football team at Purdue. And so I'd seen a lot of coaches and, and how they led. And I think that was really how I viewed leadership at that time. And, and it worked well for one location or two locations where you could be very hands-on, you could be there every day, um, and I think uh, that direct style of coaching and in-the-moment coaching um, is very much kind of comes from that sports background that I had. Today, it's definitely a lot harder uh, if you had that kind of mindset. I think being able to lead through others is something that I've had to learn um, and understand about how to get that, that leadership from kind of being having those 10 locations and trying to get that down to individual team members. is much more of a challenge. Sure. How would you describe your leadership approach, Andy? My, I'd say the biggest formative years for my like leadership style and what I kind of experienced today was really just fresh out of college when I went and joined General Mills. I had a leadership development program where you got to experience a couple different types of engineering operations types roles. And they really invested in you in those first two years to one, help you figure out what you kind of wanted to do and and how you could contribute in the manufacturing organization. And one of those roles was people leadership of leading an operations team and the manufacturing plant. Mine was in our, or in the Pillsbury cookies and biscuits department. So making all those fun Pillsbury cookies, but it was leading a team of 25 to 30 
seasoned veterans and of manufacturing operators and mechanics. And I was this 22, 23-year-old kid fresh out of school and trying to learn how to earn their respect while still leading. But I had some great like coaches and leaders and examples at General Mills. They really did a great job, I thought, of mm-hmm. helping us and helping us be successful. And I think that was really the kind of some of the formative years for sure. me and how I wanted to approach leadership and when I learned a lot. Right. I know that AZIP has has been really intentional about developing leaders within the organization and that you have, over time, most of your leaders have really come from frontline workers in your stores, and then they move into other roles within the company. Could you tell us about your approach to developing leaders throughout the company? Yeah, certainly. Yeah, we of our soon-to-be 11 general managers, 10 of them start, were promoted into those positions internally. So we're we definitely have a focus on filling those kind of store level leadership positions from within our store. And even a lot of our home office staff, nearly most of them started at the store, uh, several original employees that are in other marketing or other type of roles now at our, with our home office team. I would say that it's still, it's still an area that we're trying to keep getting better at and keep having a more defined process and pathway for helping our teams develop. Um, it really is a lot of intentional, just day-to-day coaching from our regional leaders and um, our home office leadership of everyone having that same mindset that we see the potential in our teams to develop, and we want to invest the time in that day-to-day coaching and helping them get better and recognize where their things are doing well and areas that they can continue to improve. We do do a couple things with um, quarterly GM, AGM meetings where we get them all together we have a specific topic, really spend that time helping focus on them and their leadership style and developing their capabilities, always having kind of a different focus each meeting and trying to to help them improve and help AZIP improve through those trainings as well. But then it, it really is that, I think, that day-to-day and everyone being in having that same mindset of trying to, to build those benches and have people ready to and wanting to take on additional opportunities and responsibilities and grow with us and seeing AZIP as a place that they can do that. And, and why do you think that approach has worked well for you compared to, say, trying to find uh, somebody with some management experience at another similar restaurant or in another industry? I think the the biggest thing is that, one, we've had success with it, and so we value and we value it. And they've developed that skill set and knowledge within the AZIP systems. Our general manager positions are different than I'd say some of our industry peers. And we really want them focused and to be successful in that role, you have to really care about and invest in your team. And we have had a chance then at that point to see that they bring that same mindset that we're looking for and that they're going to continue that culture whenever they're in that leadership position in that store. So we have a chance to to vet them and know that they're going to bring that. It's been a hard area, I think, to evaluate for an external candidate for us too and to make sure we get that right fit. So if we have the opportunity to see and get a better understanding of their true mindset and values and if they're going to fit as they move into that general manager position, we have a much higher likelihood to have success than they do too, operating within the AZIP system. Sure. I know one of the things we've talked about in the past is on retention. And and every every company right now is thinking about how do we retain, how do we recruit talent. 
Tell us about your experiences with that and and what you've done to successfully recruit and retain uh, talent. I think one of the big things that we've done to help retain the talent that we have by one, just making AZIP a fun place to work. You know, having hiring employees that get along well with each other, that they enjoy being around. That's one of the things we see most on our surveys is that they love the people they work with. And having that team bond leads to them wanting to stick around. And so I think that's a big part of it. You know, we know every job at AZIP is not going to be fun, right? Like not everybody loves washing dishes or mopping the floor or, you know, having a line to the door for three hours on a Friday night. But if they're enjoying the people that they're around, then they're going to enjoy overall their experience at AZIP. And so I think that's been one of the biggest keys is having that cohesive bond at the the store and having team members that just enjoy being around each other and want to come and work hard beside each other. Because we know the job at AZIP is going to be hard work. But if they enjoy those people that they're around, I think they want to want to be there. Sure. Do you have anything to add to that, Andy? No, it's just, it definitely takes intentional focus to build that culture. If if we just let it be what it is, it's not going to be what we want it to be. And so one, we're yeah, keeping an eye on those turnover numbers. Our, our, our turnover has been at like 40% over the last year, which is unheard of for the restaurant industry. Our, an average team member that joins at AZIP staying like three times longer than like a peer restaurant like Chipotle, which is pretty cool and something we take pride in that our, when a team somebody joins us, they're going to want to stick around and be with us and continue to grow with us. So that's been really cool to see. And, so, and being proactive with surveys and we do those biannually and then get out in front of the teams. We've been doing that for a long time, well before I think a lot of our restaurants of our size would kind of get into really investing in their teams in that way. Yeah, I remember when there was talk about AZIP getting started, and and I, I originally was a little skeptical because I thought there are plenty of pizza restaurants out there. There are plenty. But what do you think's really like set you apart that's allowed you to be successful in an industry that's probably somewhat crowded? I don't know. Yeah, I would think it's one of the most competitive industries out there. When we first started looking at Evansville as a location for AZEP, there are 120 other pizza restaurants just in Evansville. And so I knew that we had to be really different and unique. And my professor at Purdue, Mike Cassidy, he had his saying being DWIM, being different in what matters. And I think that really stuck with me that I knew that if, if we did a pizza restaurant, it really had to be DWIM. And so figuring out what those things were, and then those have kind of evolved over time too. And we've added to it, we've done different things. But I think the, the core part of that is having those personal sized pizzas made right in front of you, baked in two and a half minutes, and you really feel like you're part of that process. I love going to Subway growing up or Chipotle where you see it done right in front of you and you feel like, okay, I can ask for extra you know, green peppers or double rice and make sure that they actually put the amount of rice that I want. You know what I mean? Those kinds of little tweaks that make feel like you make it your own. I've, I really love that as a customer. And so putting that personalization kind of experience and allowing that for our customers is something that I think helps make us uh, different ways that matter and set us apart from all those other pizza restaurants that are out there. Sure. One of the areas that I've I've worked in as a consultant is in family business. And so AZIP is is truly a family business. And as, as brothers, you're co-CEOs. You have another brother, Craig, in the leadership team. You have your father's have, uh, worked in the business for a while as you're getting started. Your mother still is involved. Tell us about like working as a family and and trying to maintain both that you know personal family relationship, but also focus on being successful as a business. 
Yeah, I think it's it brings its special set of challenges for sure, but I think there's also a lot of good that comes from it. We share the same values and, and know we've got each other's back. So I think that means a lot. I think one of the biggest things that helped us separate that family life from the business was when we started having kids and grandkids uh, in the family, because that really allowed us to focus on them when we were together outside of work, um, instead of always talking about work things when we were getting together and, and kind of really gave us that, that two separate worlds. When we were together at work, we were talking about work stuff mostly. When we were together outside of work, we were able to kind of focus on on the kids and not be so focused on talking about ASAP all the time, which our wives really appreciate as well, not having to hear about that constantly. Yeah, I actually hadn't really thought about that, but they used to not really love that whenever we'd get together, there was a lot of ASAP talk. And now it's it's not really our intentional lack of talking about that. It's just the kids just suck up <laughs> all of our time and energy. And so we have no chance to talk about ASAP when uh, we're together as families, which we thankfully still get a, a lot of chance to hang out together outside of work. Because I know some families, like they'll almost have rules, like we don't talk about the business. Um, I think that was in The Godfather, right? The, mm-hmm. Don't talk about the family business. So it, so it sounds like there wasn't necessarily an intentionality, it just kind of has occurred that way that probably there is more focus on like the the relationships you have as a family rather than talking about the business when you're together outside of work. Yeah, I think that helps balance it. I think it's just everything's a balance and, and having that that balance to help us have those strong relationships outside of AZIP uh, helps keep them strong for the business as well. Mm-hmm. So how did you come up with this idea of co-CEO? I, I, I've seen more companies have this, but I would say before... 10 years ago, it was almost unheard of. What was the advent of the the idea of, of moving to a co-CEO model? I think it all started because I'm not a CEO type at all. It's just not my personality. Andy and I have such different strengths um, that it makes so much sense that we're able to kind of share that leadership role and really lean into our own strengths. And Andy's got the more of the organization, more of the engineering type of mindset. Um, and that just isn't me at all. Having both of those in this role has really allowed us to, you know, seeing both sides of things more more often and, and being able to kind of make those decisions with both of us talking through our perspectives on those things. Sure. Yeah, I'd, I'd say I agree with Brad. And the, or one of the pieces is that we just have such different skill sets. And I think since we each bring those different personalities and skill sets to the table as a team together, we're, we're stronger in that role. I think if we had a lot of overlapping skill sets, it might not make as much sense for that to be a kind of a co-situation. And then for us to continue to operate effectively, we have to really communicate really well and try to be on the same page whenever we're communicating with the rest of our team. And that's that's always a challenge, is making sure you know we're we're presenting and and showing some unification on that as we're communicating with our even our leadership team or especially once we get in front of our broader team. So what is what would you say, Andy, has helped you operate effectively as co-CEOs? I mean, a couple of things just like structure-wise is we share an office. You know, we figure if we if we can't get along sharing an office together, probably not a good idea for us to, to share the role together. But I think that just helps with constant communication, you know, being in, in that proximity to each other and working together like that. And then just setting aside regular time to think bigger picture, and making that a priority to have those conversations and set aside that time that we're not just focused on the, the immediacy of the day-to-day problems, but setting aside time for us to talk about 
longer term picture and getting on the same page as far as that goes. What would you say have been then the challenges of that relationship of as co-CEOs and brothers and, and maybe some ways that you've addressed those in the past? Do you want to handle that one, Brad? Yeah, sure. So I, I think it's just Having that prior relationship, you know, just growing up brothers and having years and years of history there of different fights and different arguments. And and, and then also with our, you know, the skill sets being so different, we do have different viewpoints on a lot of things. And so being able to uh, understand that and then know that there's going to be some disagreements there, but be able to figure out ways to work around that and figure out the best solution going forward and then getting on the same page. And then once you're on the same page with it, just being committed to that and following through with those those decisions and making sure that you're not kind of wishy-washy on things to to kind of go back on what what you said you wanted to do. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I mean I think probably the the key just like any relationship whether it's personal whether it's professional is like is that communication and making sure that you're taking time to to have those conversations mm-hmm. and and especially those are really important ones because it's probably really easy to get wrapped up in like the day-to-day grind of what you do and and, and sometimes maybe you ignore those important conversations about long-term strategy or the financial situation or how how you're each handling direct reports, things like that. Yeah, I think one of the other challenges is just has been to having defined roles and helping our team to understand what those roles are too. So even if Brad and I understand what our, each of our kind of roles and primary areas of responsibility are, making sure our team understands that too. And so they're not unclear on who to go to, who's like, who's going to make a decision here, that kind of thing. So I think really helping our team to try to understand that, which is something that we still are working on (laughs) and always trying to improve in that area. But I think that's another key that if you have a co-CEO roles that people, both the people involved and the team around them understand where each person's kind of areas of responsibility lie. As you think about like your strategy as a business and being successful, what sort of things have you done that really have helped you be successful and have helped you look forward to the future you know, what does that look like for you as a company? I imagine that's probably changed from day one to to now as a, a company with how many employees are there? Uh, we'll be coming up on 300 when we open the new store. Wow. We'll be pushing right around that number. Yeah, so maybe talk a little bit about business strategy. I think it all starts with with the product, with the pizza itself. I think having something that people love is so important. And so we've We've really realized that over the years as we've done some of these really creative, fun pizzas. And so we've got Chef Blake that works for us that does an awesome job being creative, coming up with some of these pizzas. The the one that really kind of put us on the map was the West Sider. So very early on, we debuted that as our first specialty pizza. And so that's a barbecue sauce and pulled pork and red onions. And then it gets crushed grippos and a ski reduction sauce, which are very Evansville things. From Evansville, you know those things. Uh, others might not. But, you know, they were kind of those unique items that, that drew people in. And we saw the, the reaction on social media from that. We saw the kind of lift in sales that that did and, and helped us understand that those limited time offers or those kinds of things could be really impactful for our customers. And so that's something that's evolved into the Pizza of the Month program for us now. So every month we have a different specialty pizza. And it's always something that we can market out there. It's always something unique and different. Every one of those pizzas 
has a customer that just absolutely loves it. Having those those diehards for those pizzas is more important than everybody just kind of liking it okay. Um, you really want to have those people that that love it. So that's kind of what we've really leaned into with the Pizza of the Month program is having those certain flavors or certain combinations that some people really love. I think now nothing encapsulates that more than the March Crabness. It's our March Pizza of the Month. It's the Crab Rangoon style pizza. Cream cheese and crab mixture is the base and then crispy wonton strips and sweet soy sauce and Thai chili sauce on top. And, uh, and that one's been a kind of moves the needle for us. And, uh, and I think one of those things that really sets us apart and makes us different from everybody else. Yeah. And just to kind of build on what Brad's saying, it, he's exactly right. Those aspects have really helped drive our strategy. And we just try to keep building on those things that have, that are our strengths right now. So if we, if we find something and I wouldn't say like the pizza of the month program was not something that in the original business plan was what we expected to, to differentiate ourselves on. But once we found that, it's like, let's keep building on this. Let's keep improving. Let's keep trying to, how can we accentuate this and make it even more a part of the AZIP brand by adding the Pizza of the Month Club to really, you know, lean in and engage those fans of that program? And, you know, how can we make sure that we have even better options or engage them in the selection process or the ideation process? Like, how can we create even more engagement around those things that are already strengths of ours? So really leaning into those instead of trying to fix every pothole that we might have. So really leaning into those things that make us great. I think the other thing is just being willing to say no and being willing to be different than what you see everybody else around you doing. Like if we're just doing the same things that everybody else around us is doing, there's no chance we're going to stand out. Like if we if we just had a normal loyalty program where every 10 visits, you know, you get a free pizza, then we could we could do that. We could be like everybody else, but we don't want to be the same pizza restaurant as everybody else. We want to find ways that stand out. And so we don't have a loyalty program directly. And we have a customer service philosophy that's called the power of pizza. That's about really creating peak experiences in the store for customers, you know, and really engaging our, our young customers are the kids that are in the stores with different different activities, things like that that can really drive them as they want to come in and get their own pizza and ex- have that AZIP experience and um, just create those memories around that. And so we, you know, we just try to adopt things that are different and we see some of the benefits of those things, but at the same time, we just don't want to do what everybody else is doing just because that's the expectation in the industry. Sure. And I, I know like my kids, probably if I would ask them, they would say Azip would be their favorite restaurant, but McDonald's probably is a is a close second. But I think both cater beat out a Happy Meal. That's pretty good. Exactly. Yeah, so I, I would always choose Azip uh, uh, over McDonald's. Definitely as a disclaimer. So <laughs> so over time, you've grown from one store t- to ten. What has kind of been your strategy for growth? I, I'm sure you know there are a lot of different approaches from. You, you probably could have chosen to grow much more aggressively and taken an infusion of private equity investment, something like that. Why have you chosen this strategy, and what do you see as kind of your, your future strategy for growth? Yeah, I think we, we really went about it in a way to try to go one or two at a time and be able to do them, do them well, do them right. Up until this point where we're working on the Indianapolis market, we've chose more mid-sized kind of markets where we can stand out and be different that aren't so crowded to other unique restaurant concepts. And I think that's been a good strategy up until this point. But I, I mean, we really look at a company like In-N-Out and how they grew. You know, they grew as a really very regional business. 
They were focused on quality. They were focused on having a great environment for their teams and paying really well. And those are things we, we really want to focus on as we grow. And so being within that three to four hour drive of Evansville is kind of that radius we've targeted. That, was, that really allows us to be able to make a day trip to those stores and be there and back and visit more frequently and, and be able to have a presence in the store and know the employees that are there and be able to have those relationships. Um, and I think that's been really important as we've grown. You've also decided to have corporate-owned stores rather than go to a franchising model. What's been the thought about that, and is that something that you've considered seriously for the future? Yeah, we we get regularly approached by customers that when they've come in and really in, enjoyed the AZIP experience, it, and, they, and it's the ultimate call, compliment to us when they do reach out asking about franchise opportunities that they enjoyed it so much that they want to expand that and invest their money in that kind of concept of growing the AZIP brand. So we really appreciate when they do, but we've always felt like that we can continue to grow this at a pace that we can control, that we want to, that we can have that balance in our lives, and that we can also continue to make decisions that are right for the long-term success of AZIP, even if that isn't the best decision for the short-term financial gain for AZIP. And we know if we went to a franchise model, it'd be hard to find the partners that have that same commitment as they make that financial investment that they expect a return on, rightfully so. And we want to make sure that we aren't pressured by that in how we make decisions and what strategies we pursue and how we grow. And so that's been one of the biggest reasons. And I think for the longest time, we felt like AZIP was still constantly evolving and we didn't have this figured out. And like we could not, in good conscience, try to tell other people how they should operate this business that we were still trying to figure out. And so that's been the biggest reasons why we've not pursued that as a growth model, even as we continue to this day to still get regular requests about those kind of opportunities. Tell us about your community involvement. I know that you've been recognized in the Evansville area for, uh, I think, some sort of like best company of giving back to in the community. Tell us about why you decided to do that and make that an important part of uh, AZIP? Yeah, I think the community is who supports us all year long. And so being able to support them back and to give back to their organizations, I think is such an important part of just being in business. And that give back strengthens those ties with our customers. And so having those give back days, having gift card presale kind of events for those organizations and helping them raise money strengthens that connection with our customers. And I think we love that. We feel like it's the right thing to do. and we want to be able to leave an impact on the community here. And that's that's one of the great things about being in some of these smaller markets like Evansville is that you feel like you can really have a big impact here. And to be voted as the best business at giving back with some really big businesses that do a lot in the community here, I think is an honor to, to be recognized from our customers as saying, yes, this is a business that cares, that wants to be a part of the community. And it's very very visible in the community. And I think that's that's been an awesome thing to have as part of our reputation. I'm so proud of that as much as a best pizza, you know, award would be make me proud as well. Sure. And you you won a most innovative pizza award recently, is that right? We did. Yeah, we did with the Pizza Marketplace uh, magazine. They did a an award kind of ceremony out in Las Vegas and won number 1 for uh, menu innovation. So that was really exciting to be recognized amongst all of our peers as somebody who has a very innovative menu and is pushing the boundaries and being creative and Really proud of that that award as well. It's a team team award. I mean, it takes 
Chef Blake coming up with the ideas. It takes every team member in the store executing on that to be able to be successful in that way. And there's a lot of challenges that come with constantly every month changing the menu that everybody has to deal with. And so it's something that's very much a team award on that one. Sure. What setbacks have you experienced like as a leader that have kind of defined maybe your your approach? Maybe some maybe you had some sort of issue that you ran into and and that's kind of a uh, impacted how you lead or maybe how the the company decided to resolve that issue. Yeah, I always think about the champagne store. So we had a, a location at University of Illinois on campus was our third one that opened. So we had two in Evansville, uh, Newburgh at the time, and uh, kind of branched out. And, and we'd heard from customers, oh, you got to take this to a college campus. This would kill it on a college campus. And so that was kind of like listening to the customers and, and trying to follow that lead and and then open the store there and realize some of the pitfalls with the seasonality of it and different things. But what really the lesson I took from it as much as anything is our team there, we, we never had a leader in place there that developed that team culture. It kind of got off on the wrong foot from the beginning. And we realized how important that is for our locations. Having the team members that come to work and have a good time, that l- love being around each other, that are willing to come in and work hard and you know have a guest first mindset. And we didn't have a strong culture there at that store. And I think it just kind of snowballed. And, and then it's really hard to get it going back the other direction, especially whenever it's three and a half hours away, you're not able to be there all the time. And so from that, I've we've really taken, I think, how important that team culture is and put more of a priority on making sure we're hiring the right people, that we're training our GMs and giving them feedback more regularly. And, and I think that's been, a, was a pivotal pivotal moment for our growth was was having that failure, having to close that restaurant. It's one of the worst things you can do, I think, as a business owner is, is closing one of your locations and it's not fun at all. And so not wanting to feel that again and really working to make sure each restaurant was set up for success from the beginning. Mm-hmm. What, what things then, and I'm going to ask you that question again in a minute, Andy, what what things do you do now to really set up the team? So if you were starting a new store, how how do you set that on uh, up on the right foot from the from day one? One of the first things is since then we've revamped the whole interview hiring process. What we're asking, what we're looking for, having more attention for our managers about what they're looking for, even into who the manager is going to be themselves. And then once we have that team hired. It's the first night, what we do is have a culture night. So it's really about starting, starting everything off with, here's the culture we're trying to create. Let's have some activities that help facilitate that and really show that the first thing we're doing when you come in here is not making pizzas. We're spending time together as a team and trying to start to build those relationships. And when we prioritize that, I think that speaks like volumes to our teams about where our priorities lie and what we really want that team to look like and what we want to see develop out of that store. So we, you know, we do some things where they get to ask Brad any questions like an, and ask me anything with Brad. We do some tower building games where they're having to work together and uh, see how high they can build their marshmallow up off the ground. And we try to do some things like that that just get them engaged with each other, communicating, and each of them have kind of a lesson that we want them to try to take away from that. And so th- that's always a fun kind of start to it. And then then it's 
it's definitely about working with that the leadership in that store, making sure you have the right ones and that they're continuing to invest in that because you take if you take your eye off of it, it can it can go south pretty quickly. It sounds like then you you really hire based on like more like personal attributes of the individual than necessarily their work experience. I think many companies they they want to hire somebody with so many years of experience in the industry. How do you view that personal characteristics versus uh, experience? That's very much driven by their if any if any experience that I'm looking for, it's the leadership experience and how that's developed their leadership mindset. It's not about do they have restaurant industry experience? Like we can teach that. Like those those things can be can be taught to a leader. And you know, thankfully, a lot of our leaders now have had time to develop that restaurant industry expertise and their leadership expertise, um, kind of in in other roles at AZIP. But yeah, now if we're looking for a new store leader externally, it's it's definitely evaluating that versus any restaurant industry experience. And I think the the initial restaurant leader that we hired for Champagne brought the industry experience, which we, in some ways, maybe we needed more at the time. Like we were still so young. We didn't, we we're still learning. It's going to be our first store operating away from Evansville. We did need more of a balance maybe there, but I don't think we fully viewed the other aspect of it in, in its entirety and the real need to have that balance in that role. Um, and went, went more heavily into the, the restaurant side than sure. the overall leadership capabilities. Sure. I asked Brad about a setback. Andy, I'd be curious if there are any setbacks you've experienced as a leader that have kind of influenced how you operate now. That'd be one of the biggest, like, especially because it wasn't just that failure. It sucked. It was something that I think we, we fought and fought. Like there was some like internal conflict about amongst our leadership about whether we should keep pouring time into it, how long we should, like all those types of things. It was definitely caused as much angst in any kind of professional relationships just because of some heated disagreements around how to approach that and what's the right strategy and how long we could keep should keep investing in it. That the hard times are definitely the hardest times to have like work together and as a family probably too. Those really were were tough discussions. And you know, I think one thing that I learned from is it I I really hate failure, just even like personally too, and probably held on to something longer thinking we that we could fix this. But we learned a lot from that failure. Like and from sticking with it for a little bit longer and trying to fix it and figuring out some things that are benefiting us still yet now. And like, I do think if we went back to it with what we, where our capabilities are now, that we could be successful in that market and in that same situation. Not that I want to get back into that uh, because of some of the, just the seasonality challenges it brings. But I, I think the just knowing that we can learn from those failures like has helped us even as we've had stores now not open with the same level of sales that we want, they still had a, a strong team. And we had faith that they, with that strong team, could give great customer experiences and build to a profitable store over time. And, you know, we've seen that now, especially with a, a store that maybe opened like right before COVID that had some headwinds that they were up against right away. But, you know, now this year is has gotten to that profitable level and it's because they've had a, a really strong team and has helped to build that customer base and 
it also has been one that we've learned from and know we have to learn how do we operate at those lower volumes. So there's, I think it's just that, that learning from those failures, but knowing when to cut bait on and, and say enough is enough and this is not worth continuing to invest our time and energy into. Sure. You probably know up front, most of your employees are going to come and they're maybe going to stay a, a year, a couple years, few Two years. Two years are goals. Two years are goal. Two years is the goal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so how do you approach that knowing there's a good chance they're not going to stay that long? And what do you, what kind of experience do you want them to have? And then maybe when they leave, what do you want them to think about AZIP or say about AZIP? Yeah. I mean, I, I think we, we know a lot of who we hire is high school, college kids, especially the part-time student workers. And, and we know that they're, growing their experience and are likely going to, you know, take a different career path than being in the restaurant industry. So I think that for us isn't a deterrent. You know, we want the best people that we can get for as long as we can have them. Um, And I think having those really good people that just have a really good moral compass and they are fun to be around and they're a good person, like that's who we want in the stores. That's who our customers resonate with. You know, we've We've seen a direct correlation between customer satisfaction and employee satisfaction. So if we can we can help make AZIP a great place to work for our employees, then it's going to directly lead to that customer satisfaction. And so I think for us, it's all about trying to give them opportunities to develop while they're at AZIP. They can develop skills that they can take with them anywhere, whether that be leadership skills, whether that be customer service skills. And we want AZIP, once that's on their resume, to be something that like, oh, I got to hire this person. They worked at ASAP. They must be friendly. They must work hard. They must be a great leader. And I think as we continue to develop ASAP and build that reputation, I think then then it just kind of builds on itself and helps you continue to get those great people, those great applicants in the door. Mm-hmm. Great. What would you say you're most proud of as a leader? I, I just have to say, I think, it's the, I think it's the customer experience that we give day in and day out. I mean, we have hundreds of customers coming through the door. And I think our team does a really good job of treating each one of those customers like a unique person. They're in there, have different wants and needs. They have different things that are going on in their life. But when we're when I'm wearing my AZIP shirt out and talk to people at the grocery store or at AZIP or at wherever, that is the first thing they almost always mention is, is our teams. And I think what a good job they do and how they make it a personal experience for them whether they have a gluten allergy uh, that they're dealing with, whether they have other personal preferences in their pizza, that our teams go above and beyond to make that a great experience for them. And so I think that, to me, is what I'm most proud of, is that we've been able to develop a culture of taking care of our guests. I think our guests definitely see that. And I, and I think one thing that probably sets AZIP apart from other restaurants and and really other companies is that in some way, you're you're able to create like raving fans, mm-hmm. and I would say there are a few companies out there that people really have brand loyalty towards, and there are a lot of people that just love Azip and they like telling people about how much they like Azip. And I know when my family comes in from Nebraska, one of their stops in Evansville is always Azip, and there there's just something that's really neat about that. And probably a, a big piece is just the quality of product, but but then the experience mm-hmm. is, is also really important. Yeah, I think they go hand in hand. You can't just have one of them. 
just one of them is not going to work. You know, you have to have both of those have to work together to really have a great business. And I think feel very fortunate to have those loyal fans. I mean, you know, if something pops up on social media about AZIP, we've always got people in the comments commenting on how much they love AZIP and are excited for us to do whatever. And I think that's, we just feel very fortunate that we have, have those loyal fans and that they've been so supportive of what we've been trying to build and that they really understand, I think, what we're trying to build. And, and so it's been, been really fun to interact with people and hear their experiences about AZIP and how much a part of their lives AZIP becomes. You know, they come every week, they get to know our teams, they form those relationships, they ask about our employee if they don't see them there for a day or something. You know, we, we do, uh, once a month, we do a home office takeover. And every time we do it, we go into the store, send the team home with pay for a day. We work their shift for them. Uh, the home office team does. And every time we do it, we get customers that are like, uh, immediately know that, hey, this isn't the team that's normally here. <laughs> What's going on? You know, they <laughs> they have those bonds with our team. They know our team and they they like having formed those relationships. And so I think that's just, it's something special that that we've been able to do that. That's awesome. Andy, what would you say you're most proud of as a leader? To me, I'm, I'm really proud anytime I see one of our, the members of our team take that next step up in their, in their career journey. Whether that, I don't care if it's with us, why well, I would want it to be, but even <laughs> if it's taking that next step up, that they're graduating from college and they're going on to pursue their, you know, something in their line of work, but that they've, you know, worked with us for multiple years and really grown their skills. But especially whenever I get to call somebody and tell them, hey, you got you got the job as the general manager at this store, and you've worked worked so hard and been so dedicated to this for you know multiple years, and really proud of your growth and development and commitment to that. And it's just it's always one of the funnest things to do is to be able to give one of our team members a call and tell them they they earned that general manager position, and I'm just really proud of how our team and their kind of commitment to each other how they support each other too, and their desire to continue to grow with AZIP and the opportunities we can try to provide in that area as well. Great. What, do you, what would you say you're excited about in the future? You know, it could be, could be AZIP related, could be personal related. Uh, just be curious, what's something you're excited about right now? I'm always really excited to continue to grow and evolve the store. You know, of those, when those new locations are coming on and and trying to go through and figure out how can we make them just a little bit better? How can we make them just a little bit more efficient? How can we kind of tweak that customer experience and, and try to make that better? That part of it's always really fun for me. And that creative energy and putting that into the, the new stores is always something that I really get excited about and helps keep me just really engaged in that process. So that constant evolution, and it's never one is never exactly like the last one. You know, there's always those changes. And and looking forward to figure out what those are and how we can get better is always something I'm I'm excited about. Right. Thank you, Brad. Mm-hmm. How about you, Andy? Yeah, the the growth is always it's fun to get, be getting back to that with the new indie location. We've over the last couple of years spent some really good time and resources to reinvest in some of our stores and get them up to the new model of how AZIPs are operating now. And it's been awesome to see those pay off and and really deliver the results we wanted. But there's something different about just being able to open a new store and see people experience AZIP and this idea and this product for the first time and hear their feedback coming in. It's it's always really cool and motivating and energizing, like Brad was kind of saying, 
to get that feedback from customers. And I'm excited to, to get back to that here in the next couple months and, and having that coming in and getting back to that growth element. Great. And we're recording this in July of 2023. And so we have the, why don't you share the new stores? Yeah. So next week, our Newburgh store is moving down the road. So that'll be uh, reopened in its new model, kind of more more kitchen space, more dining space, pickup door versus um, just some learning and trying to understand how we can better serve our customers in that new format. And then the new Indy location on Michigan Road and 465 will be opening up sometime in September, it uh, appears right now. And we're, that's the new location we're excited about. And then beyond that, nothing nothing settled in the pipeline, but hope to keep growing in this Indiana, Kentucky area in the next couple of years. Andy, you said uh, pickup door, it's zip through lane, I think is our- uh, Branding it. Branding <laughs> it. Yep. Yep. Just want to make sure that's clear. I like that. I like that. Well, how can our listeners find out more about AZIP? Yeah, they can go to uh, azippizza.com. Um, we have our online ordering uh, there through the website that they can do. Also follow us on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook and maybe soon to be TikTok. I don't know. We're kicking that uh, kicking that idea around about how we could be a little different on there. So yeah, I think those would be the great, great places to go. Well, Andy, Brad, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. It's uh, been a great conversation. I've enjoyed learning more about AZIP and I think our, our listeners will really benefit learning about your company, your approach to leadership, uh, your strategy for uh, success and growth. And so I definitely want to thank you for your time today. Thank you, Ted. Yeah, thanks for having us. To learn more about Dr. Tad Dickel and the T.A. Dickel Group, please visit tadickel.com. Thank you for joining us.